Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 Podcast. I'm Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined as always by Nate Atkins. The Colts play the Falcons this week. Um, Nate, should we start with the good, the bad, or the confusing first? This whole week's confusing me. I'll, so I'll, I'll let you. The I'm living in the confusing. Uh, hmm. I guess we'll start. Let's end on a good note for people heading <laughs> okay, into so the holiday do you, season. Do you want so, bad or confusing? Uh, let's go with bad. Um, let's get out of the way. Some of the reaction to the the suspension of Demonte Casey just frankly doesn't make sense. Uh, I'm speaking specifically about Tom Brady and. Um, I I I don't understand defending this hit. I don't think I'm the only person saying that. I think most Colts fans feel this way. I, I don't get defending this hit. I think you could have made a play on the football. Uh, I think you could have hit the football. I don't think it is. We see these guys every week in real time, realize where the ball is, and then punch at it. And KZ, I thought, definitely had time to do that. Definitely. Pittman is diving forward. His hands are outstretched. It's probably like a 20% catch probability anyway. Like, that's a hard catch, especially once you hit the ground. All you have to do as a defensive back, I think, is swat the ball. And if you get any piece of it, I don't think it's a catch. The ball was the closest thing to him. Right. So that's another good he point. almost had to go around the ball to make the hit that he made. And... Uh, there's a lot of ends to it. I will say, like, the Tom Brady thing, I thought he had one point that is fair about the quarterback putting some guys in these positions. Okay, so here's the here's the counterpoint, which I know you know. Tom Brady used to do this. True. To he everyone. Did. Everyone on his team, anybody on his team who worked over the middle, he used to do it to them on purpose. It, like, it wasn't – that's the thing. It was not – it was not with Brady. I don't think it was like he was uh, he was like kicking himself for when those plays happened. He did that like that was part of their go. Just go watch every throw he ever made to Gronk, and and look at Gronk's knees or Julian Edelman for that matter. When over the middle, he's constantly fitting stuff into windows. That's not and that wasn't. It's not just Brady. That was pretty common for that era. That era yeah. of quarterback it was the the like I covered Drew Brees. Brees did this to his tight ends a lot. Um. You're you're fitting a ball into a tight window to get a first down, knowing they're going to get hit. Brady's saying like to me, Brady's saying like, it like I do think yes, as a quarterback, you don't want to lead your player into it. And I thought Gard- I actually give Gardner Minshew a lot of credit in the post game. He said when I asked him about the the play, he said I feel like I can't lead him into that hit. Yeah. That shouldn't absolve the defender for taking the no, shot. Two totally different topics where. The quarterback can look out for some of that. And Gardner had a couple of throws that were in this vicinity, so I am glad that he, you know, is acknowledging that too. And, and maybe there's a way to, you know, improvements he can make to avoid some of that. But it's it's on the defenders. And look, it's like Gus Bradley laid this out well, where he said, "Yes, there's on occasion." Because I asked him about how they teach this. He said, "Yes, there's once in a while where there is such a bang bang moment." position where a guy is and it's just unfortunate and you can look at you know understand that player and his track record and the the positioning and no it wasn't intentional you know some things do happen I think there's a play Kenny Moore had where he got flagged for a hit 
but did not get fined. I think that was against the Browns or the Saints. Uh, and it was it was very much like that. A guy that has no track record of doing that, you know, is trying to make a play. There, there are once in a while moments that are like that. This play did not look that way at all. Uh, I have a still shot out there, and, and not that screenshots show everything, but it screenshot matched up with the replay. I think shows that KZ certainly had time to make some kind of thought. And again, like we said, the ball is the closest thing to him, so. This isn't a matter of he's trying to get to the ball and like someone's head is in the way. And uh, but the the bigger thing about it is just you, the NFL suspended him for three games because he has a long track record of being in moments like this. This was his going to be his sixth infraction on the season. Uh, he has plays back in his career of doing this back in 2018, lit Cam Newton up well after he started to slide. That's going back five years. So you have five years of of moments and six different infractions this season, and the NFL decided that fines are not getting the message through. And this has been a year of such carnage across the NFL that the quarterbacks are getting kind of the headline for that as always, but there's just been so many crippling injuries, and the NFL's not sure what to do about it because you know, it's a long season, and since they added the, the 17th game and it's a physical sport, some things just happen. But the one thing that they can try and do is is make this very clear that, uh, that, that you have to avoid some plays like this. And there's a, a Colts defensive player I talked to about this recently where, um, you know, I asked him, you know, if he thought this was avoidable. And he said, you know, he said it is if you just study your opponents and you met, you measure up where you can tackle them and where you, you know, where you're going to end up risking a shot to the head. It doesn't give you perfect uh, perfection on all moments when there's jump balls and such. But it's, it's a mentality thing is what Gus Bradley got at and – KZ has unfortunately shown a mentality for years now of going after players in the helmet. I saw other plays in that game where he lit up Josh Downs across the middle. Granted, Josh Downs was facing back to the ball, so it was like it ended up being a shoulder-to-shoulder hit. But there's another one where he tackled him basically connecting their two helmets to then pull him down by the jersey. He tackles with his head forward all the time. And so the NFL is trying to say, don't do that. And if you're going to keep doing it, even though we find you five different times, and at some point they have to do something different because there's guys like Michael Pittman Jr. who have too much on the line, too much, uh, frankly, just their health and, and their well-being to first start out. But it's also, you know, you, it's just weird to for anybody to cry about DeMonte KZ when, when Michael Pittman Jr., who's a great dude who's also in a contract year, is currently in the concussion protocol because he laid out for a ball where you could have just punched the ball out and said you went for his head. Yeah. Um, and I, just in talking, to, in talking to people over the weekend, too, like I didn't – I think this is another case where, like, on, on social media it feels like there's a bunch of people who are defending it. Um, most of them with Pittsburgh in their in their bio somewhere. I I don't really get the sense from anybody that at least like it just in walking around and talking to people over the weekend. I don't really get the sense from anybody that they're that that this was a hit that people were like, oh, that was borderline. Like just no one no one seems to feel mm-hmm. that way. You know, Julian Blackman is a safety <laughs> and and a good one. He's having a very good season. Um, I was just thinking today, you know, uh, the, 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 there's a weird spot where the the game by game stuff has him at missing two snaps, and Julian says that he's played all of them. Um, huh. 
either way, wh- whichever one it is, uh, 100% snaps or 99.8 snaps is really, really good. He's been really, really good for a young secondary, you know. Um, but, like, he plays safety. He plays deep safety. He has played deep safety. And he, he was the one who said on Sunday, on Saturday night, we've got to get that out of the game. Um, so I, I, I actually don't think the debate is as heated as it seems sometime on X Twitter, the site that, or the site that should not be named. Like, I, it, I don't think it's a, I don't think, I think most people who saw that hit immediately recognized this is bad and dangerous and didn't have to happen. Yeah. Or maybe there are, there are some people I think who are nostalgic for the way the game used to be officiated where this stuff just happened. These hits uh, are part of the entertainment value to it. And when you're sitting on a couch, you know, or in a press box, it's easy to look at it that way. But like that's, it's just a different era now where we've learned enough about those, the injuries that can form from that, from head injuries to neck injuries to spine injuries to on and on that, you know, they're, they're things evolve and the game has evolved to a point where they're trying to not lose all these great players to all these injuries if there's a way to sort of clean it up a little bit like that and um you know and there's just plenty of players i has has any colts secondary player been fined for that this year i mean i can i can actually look this up so remember give, kenny give me, moore got flagged me for it but not fined give me a second i can actually look this up um they because like, there's just the the Common comeback people will have about this is what else was he supposed to do? Is always what people the, the people that Hit will the make that argument. <laughs> and I'm just saying, there are players who find different things to do all the time because that's their job. And it's either your focus in your job or it's not. Um, it's this is it's just it's a, of all the hits to be debating like. It's just not. This just doesn't feel like one that needs to be debated. Um, this is going to take a little while, um, so we'll we'll talk a little bit while I do this about the the other elephant in the room. And I know you guys want to know. We we also would like to know what Tony Brown and Isaiah McKenzie were suspended for. Um, is this the confusing portion? Yes, this is the confusing portion. Um, I mean, not confusing in the sense that we wonder what's. Like, we know what's happening. They're on the reserve suspended list for three games. We don't know why. Uh, the Colts are, have said it's internal. Uh, Shane Steichen didn't didn't really uh, um, waver on that, not that we expected him to. That's kind of been Shane's thing the whole time, the whole time he's been the coach. Um, but it is a – I mean, I think it's obvious, you know, it's, it's a significant and rare suspension. Number one, it's rare because teams do not typically suspend players. The NFL typically suspends players. Um, and it's also, this is one of the interesting things as I go through this, it's been a while since a Colts player was fined. That's what I'm saying. For anything. Um, it's been a long time. There have been players fined for doing things to Colts, but it's been a long time since the Colts have been fined. Uh, you have to go back to the last two I can find. Or week seven. Michael Pittman? Pittman and Buckner. Buckner got penalized for a hit on a quarterback there. Um, and that's uh, – I'm going backwards. So we're already almost to the the um, 
end of this. I think you might be right that, that no defensive backs have been fined at all this season. There's, there is some so question. So contrast of, that with one defensive back who's gotten six fines. Now, one of two things is true. Either the league is out to get this player or this player is not getting the message that the league has sent to everybody that we have a whole – I mean, we could go team by team and figure this out. And obviously there have been other guys who have been, been fined. EJ Speed's unnecessary roughness in week four, I believe, was for hitting Matthew Stafford out of bounds. Yep. Correct? It was. Um – Quiddy Pay had an unnecessary roughness fine. That's still not a secondary player. And yeah, I I think I think you're right. So if a whole cold secondary can do it all year, why can't one dude avoid it? I know, six and there's times? there's a piece of this where people were taught like people have like who are defending Casey have come back and been like his fines. A lot of his fines have been rescinded. To me, you're kind of missing the point. Which there. we also don't know if that's true. It's something a family member threw out there. And an agent. His agent also said agent that. Said the that. agent said the majority of his fines were rescinded. There's, the letter said a repeated pa- pattern of activity. And like that's why I went and found uh, all the fines. Because they're, like, they're, they're findable. And that suggests a repeated pattern of activity. Whether or not they were rescinded, the league is constantly seeing stuff in his play that is not legal. Yeah. Um, whether or not it's gotten flagged, whether or not it's gotten continued, like they ch- part of John Runyon's email or j- uh, of his his statement or letter or whatever you want to call it. I guess it's the letter. They publish it and send it to us as an email, so it's hard to think of it as a letter to a person. But that's what it is. He made a big deal out of repeated violations. Um, well, you talked to Josh Downs about this, and I had shared his quote um, where he was talking about how the drive before that. KZ hit him pretty hard and dropped into the turf. And I share that not not to suggest that, that that play should have gotten a penalty, but the idea is that this player's playing style leads to these moments, and that's why he's been fined six times this year. That's why he's been penalized in past seasons. That's why he's now out for the year is that when you consistently tackle with your head up and forward and the crown of your helmet in the vicinity of – players shoulders and, and heads all the he time He tackles with his head down he yeah. tackles with the he tackles with his face looking at the ground so whether that makes him dirty or poorly coached or sloppy whatever the reason is it's not it hasn't been fixed by the six the five different letters about fines this season and this is a guy who entered the league in 2017 so like what at what point how many injuries do we have to have before you finally have that conversation with him and they the league just decided it was easier for right now to get this guy out of the game and so that's what they did and it's just i don't know it's it's a weird it's, it's a weird moment to defend because there's other players that if it's, if it's their only one you know you can give a little bit more benefit of the doubt but the nfl has decided you know we see this in your play quite almost all the time i mean six six fines it's like one uh, almost one out of every two games uh so there were two in one game there were two in one game yeah. Um so uh now now we'll go to the, the, the more fun part to discuss. Do you do you, the division is suddenly in play. We'll just put it that way. The division is suddenly in play. I, I don't think any of us saw this coming. Uh but it's true. They're they're even with the they're even with the Jaguars and Texans at eight and six. 
Uh, the Jaguars have Trevor Lawrence in the concussion protocol that right this week. They play Cleveland? No. Texans have Cleveland. The Texans have Cleveland with maybe not C.J. Stroud. Uh, Jacksonville has Tampa. I will say this. Jacksonville's finishing schedule is not the toughest. No. They play Tampa, then Carolina, then Tennessee. But if if Trevor Lawrence is not available on Sunday, um, I mean, Tampa just Tampa just beat the Packers. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know what the Packers are. They were hot for a little bit, and now they look terrible again. So I, I don't know what the Packers are, but they Tampa. What I'm saying is Tampa Bay can beat you if you're not if you're not playing that well. Now the Colts beat them pretty good, but Tampa Bay has the capability to beat you. That the, how open? Let's put it this way: How open is the window? Do you think for the Colts to win a division title? It's uh, it's cracked, but it's not thrown all the way open yet. You know, I think that. The Colts need to win out to give themselves that chance. I would assume the Jaguars are still going to find ways to win those final two games when you would assume that Trevor Lawrence would be back. Again, we never really know with these injuries, but uh, you know, usually the way that it works when you go into the concussion protocol, most players miss the following week, and then you know, and then oftentimes they bounce back. But I, those two games against Carolina and Tennessee are winnable enough that. You know, I think you have to make the Jaguars the favorite. So I assume you have to go, you know, you have to win out because if you remain tied with them, you know, the Jaguars are going to win the tiebreaker there. So it's a jar because the Colts, in a vacuum, each game they're going to go up against Falcons, Raiders, Texans at home are all winnable. And possibly they could be favored in all three, depending on at this point, you'd probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe they won't be against the Texans. We'll see how that team does the next couple of weeks without uh, getting C.J. Stroud back. But it's it's a possibility. The thing is the Colts have a couple of their own injuries to work through too that makes this week I think very interesting is that I have a different thought on this week's game and how winnable it is if they have Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor versus neither of them. Or maybe they have one of them. It's just hard to know this early in the week what that's going to look like. But – uh, yeah, if they get both Taylor and Pittman back this week, then all of a sudden things are looking like they have a you know a, a decent you know some kind of chance to win out, and then that gives them the opportunity. Taylor's status is really hard to predict too. Um, you know, we're we're taping this before the injury report has come out on Wednesday, right? You're checking your phone right now. It's not out yet. It's not out yet. Um, Shane Steichen said that he would participate, that Taylor would participate in the walkthrough. Correct me if I'm wrong. He has been listed as DNP in the walkthroughs the last two weeks, right? Yes. Three weeks. So if he's listed with a status here this afternoon, I would say that that's an important distinction. Yep. Because last week, that was when Juju Brents was given a status. Good call. Yep. And then we saw him come back. Yeah. So I, I would say that if he has a status that's. Uh, a sign that he might be back. Um, three. It's been three weeks. Uh, Steichen did say today that they they've got to evaluate you know him holding onto the football that kind of thing. Obviously they have Zach Moss uh, is is also somewhat uncertain mm-hmm. in, in terms of whether or not he'll be back. I mean, guys are going to try to play. They're going to try to play if they can. Um, we'll find out. And that, that's the hard part is 
I don't think we really know because like Juju Brents is a good example or Zach Moss the first week. There have been a couple examples with this team and this coaching staff where we kind of felt like based on prior, based on the way the week was going, based on prior, um, the way it used to work with injuries, that players would end up playing. I know I thought Brents was playing against Cincinnati. Um, and I think we all thought Moss would play the season opener because yeah. he practiced that whole week. And they have not necessarily brought guys back. Didn't Drew Ogletree also was – that, was that with a concussion? Yeah, they might have. I know they downgraded Zaire Franklin the day before. That's true. The game. That's true. Um, they, they now, the one exception to that is Josh Downs was a guy I did not think was going to play for like two weeks, and he did. Yeah, so. they can kind of give him like – I just went through all the snaps. They can kind of give him like a, a 12 or 14 snaps. Yeah, so it's a little so different. It's a little bit different. But, but yes, the, the, so I, I think that it, it is a little bit hard because sometimes it feels like the practice stuff is trending towards guys playing, and then at the end of the week it doesn't end up that way. Yeah, so it's just you have to kind of wait and see. And the same thing with the concussion protocol is we know what the steps are, but, you know, players – some players have cleared it in a week. Uh, T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith just did it for the Steelers. Mo Alley-Cox did one week for the Colts. But usually it doesn't work that fast. And so that'll be interesting to watch because the Falcons are far more gettable through the air than on the ground right now. But this passing game without – like one of the interesting things that happened is Pittman went out against the Steelers. But like because KZ got ejected and then – like the next play, Minka Fitzpatrick got hurt. It was almost like both teams were missing all that side of it, and the Colts ended up getting them with some plays to DJ Montgomery, and then they kind of just ran it down their throats. Um, we have not really ever <laughs> – since I got in this beat, I've never seen the Colts have a like good passing game without Michael Pittman Jr. Granted, there's only been like three games where that he, they haven't had him. I actually think you've never seen a game where he wasn't in. Right? Well, I have because he missed the game in Jacksonville last year. It's the one game he missed. Oh, 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 oh okay. I remember when he got a – the other ones are partial. So he got he ejected got from a game against the Patriots and then knocked out of this one. The but, only – sorry, the only one I – the only only one I remember – the big one I remember is the, the compartment syndrome from his rookie year when he missed like three games. Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten that he missed the Jacksonville game last year. Yeah, so I, I'm just curious how it, how it operates because, you know, obviously when they went out, they brought – you know, D.J. Montgomery took that – spot dropped the touchdown then came right back and, and made up for it but uh it's gonna be harder this week they don't have uh, Pittman's role is just so high volume it's so based on you know him being the guy with the t- drawing the attention of the defense and still finding ways to move around the, the different wide receiver spots in in the routes he's running to produce and then produce yak wise so he's a guy that Gardner can hit you know, five to seven yards and turn that into a first down. That's that's hard to find that skill set on this team right now. Uh, they need to get Josh Downs going again. He's kind of hit a bit of a lull since his knee flared up uh, just over the past month or so. And then Alec Pierce, as we know, they've kind of had struggled all year outside of one game to get him production. And he's it's just different role. He's he's your kind of low volume down the field guy. So uh, I'm sure they'll use him more intermediate if they don't have Pittman but it just it puts more on the run game and so if Taylor's back then you feel good about that if not though Falcons are actually pretty good against the run 
Falcons are pretty good defensively overall. They are good defensively overall, but I noticed like they're in like the top five of every run defense stat. They've only allowed five rushing touchdowns on the year, uh, and I believe they they give this up the this. They're second in the league in fewest touchdowns allowed on the ground, and second in the league in first down percentage on the ground. So they are in teams run on them a, a you know a decent amount because they're up. But yeah, it's two two banged up running backs. Um, and then, you know, Moss and Taylor, and then it's figuring out, like, what if they have those guys, how much of them do they have? Is Taylor um, – you would assume if Taylor plays, it's a matter of – since it's a thumb, it's a matter of, you know, he can grip the ball or not. Uh, so maybe it's a little less wondering how explosive they can be. But, yeah, it's all it's all interesting. It all It's all up in the air to me because the on paper the Colts are the better team, and if they have their guys, they're – um, they're going to be better than, you know, a team that's now switching to Taylor Heineke to spot the Colts seem to be getting into all the time going up against, you know, some quarterback who is not the starting quarterback before. Um, they even had that in the middle of a game twice um, where teams have switched quarterbacks. So this is another week of it. But, yeah, we had to see we had to see whether those guys are back to see just, you know, if if the Colts have what it takes, because mostly they've they've handled the teams that they are on paper better than this season. Or as as the season's gone on, we've learned teams that are that are a little inferior. The ones though that are, you would just go into the matchup saying on paper they're better than the Colts. Typically, have beaten the Colts with one exception when they beat the Ravens. Uh, but outside of that, it's pretty much gone along that split so far. Where do we put the Falcons in that? I. I'm gonna. I'll put. I'll lay my cards on the table. I think the Falcons are worse than the Colts. Yes, because, I agree. and I bring that up because uh, they want to fire their coach. That's. I've been reading. I've been reading it stuff from Atlanta. There's a lot of talk about it. Arthur Smith's job security. They just switched their quarterback again, uh, back from Desmond Ritter to Taylor Heineke, which I will say as a podcast, pretty good. Uh, prognosticating from us that every literally every time we brought up Atlanta, when we've been talking about the Colts' schedule, what have we said? We have no idea who the quarterback's yeah. going to be, and then it changed and like two day, changed like three days before it it was going to happen. Uh, so there's an interesting piece in the there's an interesting piece of Atlanta's stats. Okay, defensive stats. Atlanta is eighth in points per game allowed. They're tenth in yards per game allowed. They're ninth in yards per carry. 8th in passing yards, 11th in yards per play. But they're 22nd in DVOA. So what you're saying is they play in the NFC South. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't I, made that connection, but that's a good one. Uh, yes, they're 22nd in DVOA. Uh, I think one of the other things that's – one of the other reasons, like even given those yardage stats – they're not a big play defense. They are 24th in the NFL in sacks per pass attempt. They're 27th in interception rate. In terms of takeaways, they are they are tied for 24th. They only have 15 takeaways on the entire season. So, some of those yardage stats may be misleading in terms of how good their defense is, and I think you might have just hit on the reason why. Yeah, and I mean, as far as when we're talking about, are they better than the Colts? I think right now you have to say the Colts are better because the Falcons are coming off a loss to the Panthers. They feel like they're in disarray. Like it feels like quarterback change away from the guy that they're trying to make the next thing. Arthur Blank had like a really 
wishy-washy, I'll wait to see at the end of the season. Ask me in three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of, like, giving support for Arthur. It feels like like things are on the verge of falling apart. Yeah, I think things have been discombobulated there all year, especially on offense. There's, you know, a lot of talk about why they've – you know, they spent a high draft pick on Bijan Robinson, and they just don't seem to want to use him. Okay, okay, okay. Do you have Bijan in any fantasy leagues? I don't. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Or I did, because I'm not in the fantasy playoffs anymore. I was going to say, you probably didn't go very far. (laughs) Uh, I I was driving my son around uh, to some parties, some birthday parties and baseball parties and stuff like that on Sunday, and I checked right around the end of the the, the one o'clock games. I checked my my uh, my fantasy team score, and he had negative zero point one points. <laughs> I've just got a crack at it. There was Arthur Smith had a quote one week where he said he's he's moving well without the ball right now. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. That's why Falcons fans are very upset. They just feel like they've, you know, they they haven't really taken a swing at quarterbacks since they lost on the Deshaun Watson derby, moved off Matt Ryan. But they've put so many resources in, like, every position around the quarterback. And just Arthur Smith was hired to be the guy that kind of pulls those strings. And I think there have been moments in his tenure where they have risen up in games. But for the most part, they have not really developed these stars or – Use them to the level that people thought they would when they got them. Yeah, they don't. So that's the thing about their offense is, like, there are talented players there, and there's reason to believe that they're they, there's they're like, if you look at their top two receivers this year, it's Drake London, averaging thirteen point three yards per catch, fifty eight catches. The next one is Kyle Pitts, averaging twelve and a half, forty seven catches. But this team does not score points very well. So you have you have Bijan Robinson, who's at four point six yards per carry, and has caught forty one passes at a seven point nine clip. You've got London, you've got Pitts, and your offense is awful. Yeah, yeah, and they they just have no direction at quarterback either. They feel like the team that the Colts just went up against. That's guessing as to what you know. A couple of these they've gone up against actually recently because the Patriots are just like that and. Like where they they don't have a quarterback they believe in even to currently start, and that makes it different than the Colts. So the Colts, while we have had plenty of discussion on this podcast about uh, you know Gardner Minshew and in some of the plays he's had this season, we still know like every week he's going to be the starter. Like th- this is the world they're living in. This is like th- there's such a lack of direction when each week you're left as a team guessing as to what your quarterback situation is going to be. And they've when they when the Colts have faced that this season uh, against the Steelers and the in the Patriots on that those sides of the ball, they've really punished those teams because that confusion tends to play into you know, their inability to handle the Colts pass rush. And so I think that would be, you know, the model for the for the Colts to take this week is that like we talk about all the time, but the pass rush comes out and does what they do, which is, you know, harass from so many different levels and their quarterback can't overcome it because these teams are like guessing each week as to who their quarterback's gonna be. And again, to me that model is gonna work for them if they can have enough of their own offense available to, you know, hit a certain threshold where they can like get to twenty and, and you're good, or because the Patriots only took ten 
because where that offense is at. But there's a certain like threshold you can hit against the Steelers and the Patriots where they don't have enough offense to match it. I think that's true against the Falcons too. We just don't know if the Colts will have Taylor, Moss, Pittman, and it's really hard to value that offense without talking about those three guys. Yeah, the uh, the, the the scary thing about the Falcons, I think, is that there are those playmakers there. And so if they figure out how to get them the ball, you could see how all of a sudden a good game could come from their offense. Which is like the Saints. Yes. And, yeah, well, that's a, good, that's a really good example because the Saints were disastrous when they got there. Now I will say Tony Brown definitely will not be playing corner this game. Um, but one of, the, one of the things about those suspensions in terms of, like, it is big news and every, I think every Colts fan wants to know, but in terms of how they affect them on the field – Isaiah McKenzie, when Josh Downs is healthy, is playing roughly like seven snaps a game. Uh, Tony Brown has played 56 snaps on defense. 55 of them were in that ill-fated Saints game. It's mostly on special teams. I would say that Downs, having Downs back there instead of McKenzie, that your concern is mostly that Downs gets hurt because McKenzie has been pretty iffy when it comes to his decision-making on punt returns this year. Um I think the biggest loss actually is Tony Brown on as like a gunner, as a gunner and a rush guy. Obviously, had the punt block against the Titans, just plays a little bit into how the uh, the Colts special teams still look kind of discombobulated. So that part of the ball, I think, is still a concern for the Colts. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't for me extend beyond that. Um, but the the thing where we started this talking about the the Falcons' weapons. Here's the thing: the whole NFL is. 14 games into this thing, they're 26th in scoring points. Like, they they don't – the Falcons have not shown that they have any idea how to score points with these weapons. Yeah. Yeah, and until they – again, when you're having to switch a quarterback to another kind of journeyman guy that the league looks at as a backup, it doesn't make you feel like that's going to be the spark. Um, especially when they've they've tried stuff like this before, so it does feel kind of like where the Steelers were at. It's another kind of decent example where the Steelers had some, they had some playmakers in theory that if they could find a way to get the ball to Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, and Jalen Warren, there is a world where they could have gone off. Steelers couldn't do that. They don't have the offensive structure, and they don't have the quarterback play. I would say the one thing with the Falcons that's different from that is that. We have seen times this league where Arthur Smith is really good at this with the Titans. That's why he got that job. And uh, there's been moments with the Falcons where I think he has put together game plans that have done this, you know, for a single game and it worked out fairly well. I think earlier on in his tenure, he showed more of that upside. So it isn't like I can just I can't just write off and say, well, they've got nobody really to call the plays to get this figured out the way that it seemed like was going on with a few of the teams the Colts have played. Uh, but still, the the mass uncertainty at quarterback from the team that's making those decisions is kind of why I would suggest that, like why the Falcons should be an underdog in this game. It's just a matter of like how many points do you need to get to for either team, which to me comes down to Taylor and Pittman. Um, and then there's the and then there's the other scores watching. That's the other piece of this is is. I was actually a little surprised to see that the Colts, after beating the Steelers, were only they they were ended up. I think they ended up the week at only a fifty three percent chance to make the playoffs. I was a little surprised by that, 
And then in talking to Nat Newell, who crunches all that stuff for us, it's there's there's a lot of tiebreaker issue for the Colts if everybody ends up in the same record, if they end up with this big glut of teams with the same record. So mm. obviously that changes if they win and other people lose. So like last week, for the most part, outside of the Jaguars losing, uh, once you got past Saturday, just about everything went the wrong way on Sunday. They they need a week that goes the opposite. If they if they beat the Falcons, they need a week where, just to give them a little bit of cushion, again, considering some of the tiebreakers if you're looking ahead. That's why the New York Times only has them at 53. Yeah, it makes sense. And you look at those scenarios, a lot of them really, there's so much weight to the final game against the Texans because the way that this is shaken out, like we said, the, the division is open, but the most likely route is going to be you know, where you, they can't control what the Jaguars do. So for the Colts, their likely route is to earn one of the wild card spots. Uh, you figure the Browns are taking one of those. Uh, you, even though the Broncos just lost to the, the Lions, their schedule is so easy that they seem in a decent position to take another one. So then it's sort of like one spot between – Realistically, the Bills, Colts, and Texans, I think, are the last contenders. I personally, I, I don't, I'm not even counting the Steelers in that mix. After what I saw on Saturday, nah. uh, the Bengals would be the other one. They are eight and six and doing some things. Um, so, so I guess it's those four teams have, have got to come down to kind of what could be one spot if if the Broncos and Browns take care of business. Uh, it's interesting though because the Texans this week are without. Are, they're, they're supposed to be without their quarterback against the Browns. So they may be a team that is trying to kind of scrap and, and they have to win. Either way, I mean, either way, it's looking like the, the winner of that, the winner of that last game of the season is going to get to at least nine wins. If they can win one of the next two before that, 10 wins theoretically gets you in the playoffs. So that's why there's just so much weight on that game compared to the other two. Um, Either way, it's it's kind of like one of those things you kind of like. <laughs> I know it's fun to look forward, and then you're like, it's fun to look forward and to try to like figure out all the possibilities, and then it's like, we kind of just have to wait and see. Um, which Gotta is, wait and see is the fun part about it's kind of the fun part and the annoying part about sports sometimes. So you can talk a lot about it, and then like, someone will win on Sunday who's not supposed to, um, or some random thing will happen. So, uh. Colts, Colts with an interesting game against Atlanta. Atlanta is interesting to me. The, the like, the sort of the the flip flop of their things, where you've got a defense that sort of looks good on paper, but then you look at the DVOA and you wonder. You look at the big plays and you wonder. And then on the other side, you have these terrible offensive stats. And then you look at some of the weapons and you're like, how? How do they have? How can they not score points? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting game. Kind of feels like it. Kind of makes it feel like it can go it. Anyway, kind of. Fun fact: Did you know that the Falcons are averaging more yards per pass than the Chiefs? I did not know that. That is a fun fact. Isn't that interesting? Now they've only thrown thirteen touchdowns, so <laughs> <laughs> overall they are not a better passing. Game. And they just bench their quarterback. And they just bench their quarterback. They don't have Patrick Mahomes. Uh, really, that stat tells you about one thing, which is the difference in the guys the quarterback gets to throw to on both teams. Um, so, but it goes to show that like the Falcons have this; they can move the ball on offense because those playmakers, they, Arthur Smith, does 
outside of B. John Robinson, find ways to get it the ball in the hands of Kyle Pitts and Drake London, they just don't finish it off. And part of it is that they turn the ball over a lot. And that's been the issue with Desmond Ritter. And so the idea is move to Tyler Heineke, who's can be a little bit little bit more of your like veteran game manager who's gonna take care of the ball a little bit, which is exactly what he was when he beat the Colts last season for the Commanders. That's sort of the idea is like if we just stop turning the ball over, get the ball in the hands of these playmakers, that they could be the difference. And if the Colts are without their playmakers, you can see where that can be a road for them. Uh, if the Colts do have their playmakers, though, they're going to have to do more than, than what they've done because they're not scoring enough. And that, to me, is where special teams actually are very interesting in this game because you've got – for the Colts, it's like – on both sides of the ball, again, health is such a huge part of this for their offense. But if they have their guys on both sides of the ball, they probably have the advantage, or at least at least it's even on the Colts' offense because the Falcons' defense. It's special teams where you've got Matt Gay in a bit of a funk. Uh, we thought it was just a one-off in Cincinnati, but it's been two bad games now, one outdoor, one indoor. And those other issues happening where that is, like we said, where the Isaiah – and Tony Brown uh, being out, just more personnel losses for a group that's not played super well through personnel losses in that phase this season. So if it's one of those very tight games, that's where special teams could show up. Uh, we talked about like after the game, that was the one part of last week that was not good for the Colts. didn't matter because they pounded them on both sides of the ball. If this ends up being a much tighter game, that's where they're going to have to clean up some of those special teams issues to get at least back to – kind of a baseline level of competence. But I do think what helps the Colts as a team, though, is that this is another – though it's a road game, it's another indoor road game. So it that, I think, affected them in Cincinnati in a way that that is not going to be the case uh, in Atlanta. Should be fun. Should be a fun uh, game. I will say – and we'll, we'll, we'll try to figure this out as best we can. There may be a little bit of complication with the First Impressions podcast, just as a heads up. <laughs> Um, since both of us are planning to fly back from Atlanta, but not to the same spot. True. I'm flying back to Columbus. Yeah. Nate's family is in, family. Nate's family is in Columbus. So, uh, we will try to do it if we can. Um, you guys also may not care. I don't know. <laughs> Depends on what you're doing on Christmas day. Uh, but we will try to get it done if we can. There may be some, some issue in the first impressions podcast may take a little bit longer this, this week than normal. But hopefully you guys can understand that. Uh, both of us trying to get back to family for Christmas morning. Hope you guys all are having a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays week. And, uh, yeah, Colts play the Falcons on Christmas Eve with playoff stakes at hand. For the Indy Star, I'm Joel A. Erickson, and this has been Nate Atkins, the Colts Cover 2 podcast. Mm-hmm.